As you know, most, uh, up, most of you know anyway, up until uh, Christmas we've been working through and are working through James Sunday mornings. And uh, this week I'm going to look at verses 7 to 12, chapter 5. Um, as I've said before, James's letter is a letter that often confronts us. It kind of just keeps, boom, boom, confronts our thinking, confronts our attitudes, confronts our behavior. And you know what? That's a good thing. How many of you like being confronted about something? No, no, no. Well, God does it all the time, and it's good for you. Yeah, hallelujah is the right word. Whoever shouted hallelujah, it's good for us. He disciplines those he loves. It's important. We let the word of God confront us, and I pray you will do that this morning. Because once we believe on Jesus and we're born again, we need to learn how to live for God. We need to learn how to live his way, bring him glory. James's whole argument is that the evidence of our faith in Jesus will be seen in our changed lives as we become more and more like him. So let's read our reading. Verse 7 of chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, being patient and standing, be, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who've persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay, guess what? I've got three points. It's becoming religious now. According to Raj last week, I've got my regulation three points. Well, we'll, we'll change it some days and have three and a half. Anyway, really breaking the mold, isn't it? Anyway, my three points are waiting for God, facing reality, and living for God today or, or and, the power of words. That could have been a fourth point. To be honest, I could have, I spent a day and a half on this and I, I realized how much, strange thing about writing a book, I suddenly realized there was loads, loads more. I could have just unpacked and unpacked. But it's a sermon, so we have to kind of fit it together. So Waiting for God, there, who used to watch the TV show called Waiting for God? Do you remember a TV program called Waiting for God about this lady in an old folks' home? Do you remember? A better title would have been Waiting to Die, actually. Um, it had very little to do with God, and it was quite dark in its humor. And um, it was quite funny as well at times, but um, it was dark in its humor. Well, I just need to say, what I'm talking about this morning has nothing to do with that TV show. It's nothing to do with just hanging around waiting to die, and it's everything to do with having a right perspective on life and a right hope in God. Very important. Clearly, the early church were, were living with an expectation of Jesus returning at any moment. Because James says, be patient then until the Lord's coming. Well, you go and say, oh, he's coming soon then. That, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you die. And then the next generation are waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. 
And it's gone on through history. And we're waiting and we're waiting. Nearly 2,000 years on from James's letter, we're still waiting. Does that, does that letter still apply to us? Yes. Because Jesus coming again is much nearer than it was 2,000 years ago. So we can wait with a bit more expectation, a bit more confidence. James's letter says to us this morning, be patient then. Be patient then until the Lord's coming. If we get that right, we will have an eternal perspective on life. And it will help us be patient day by day as we face the issues we walk through. Be patient then until the Lord's coming. It's about having an attitude of patience, knowing that the end is already predicted. We know he's coming again. We don't know when he's coming again, but we know when he comes again. Lots of promises will be fulfilled. Every tear will be wiped away. All the fulfillment of history will come. He will rule and reign on the earth. There'll be a new heaven. And, you know, all the promises kick in when he comes again. Yeah, we have an eternal hope. We need to understand. Be patient then until then. That's what we're living for. We live in an instant society, don't we? And so now from an increasingly young age, there, there begins to form in us expectations of instant responses to everything. Instant replies to emails. Raj, instant replies to emails. <laughs> Sorry. Instant replies to texts. And then we pray and we want instant replies to prayer. Instant breakthrough in all sorts of areas. The reason there's so much debt on credit cards is that people want today what they can't have, uh, what they, they, they can't afford until tomorrow, or maybe never be able to afford. Nobody saves up for anything anymore. No one wants to wait. Years ago, when a business developed, somebody would start it up, they would develop a business, they would make some profit, they would take the profit and invest it in the business and grow it. Now, what you do is you go to somebody who's got money and you borrow it at an interest rate. And so business is built on debt from the start. And all the time, they're talking now about banks making money available for businesses to grow. Rather than, because all the money goes to the shareholders, and then they pour money, they borrow money from banks. That's a foolish, non-biblical route, as far as I'm concerned. You may make a lot of money, but you can also go bankrupt and lose a lot. God's way is always a better way. It's not instant. It's not instant. And yet, farmers... How many's met an instant farmer? You met an instant farmer? Sowed my seed yesterday, I want instant wheat today. That's foolish, isn't it? Well, of course they've got to wait. They've got to wait for it to grow. They've got to wait for the, the, the early rains and the late rains. And they've got to wait for sunshine and, and all of that. How, don't they? How many of you kind of want everything now? Yeah. Yeah, now, please. You talk to a farmer, they kind of have a laid-back view. You know, they, they, they want, they want to, to breed some cows. or Well, it takes ages. It takes months. And some of them die. 
And you know what? We've not managed instant sheep, instant cows, instant milk. We've not done it yet. Well, you've got instant milk because it comes in powdered form, but do, do, do you say we, 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 we want everything now? Well, I tell you what, we've got a lot to learn from the farmers. God is not in a hurry. How many of you know that? God is not in a hurry. All of time and eternity are his. So God will not be driven by our demands for instant responses. In fact, James tells us to look at the Old Testament prophets for our inspiration and example. Have you read any of the Old Testament prophets lately? Jean will have because she likes Jeremiah the best. But apart, who else? Anybody read any of the Old Testament prophets lately? One or two of you? Wow, wasn't it exciting? Who'd want to be a prophet? Dreadful, some of the things they had to do. Much of what they prophesied took years in the fulfillment. Some of it was only fulfilled when, when Jesus came. Been prophet, prophesied hundreds of years before. Isaiah talked about Jesus. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Hundreds of years before he prophesied this. And then Jesus comes. And there's a moment of going, hey, great. I must have, he must have been thrilled except he was long gone. He was long gone. And you know what? Some of the, prophetic, the prophecies that these guys brought are still being worked out today. Some of them won't be fulfilled until Jesus comes the second time. Wow. The prophets were often ridiculed and persecuted. Many of them suffered greatly. They were people who knew they had to wait for God. They had to wait for God. They had to wait on his timing. How good are we at that, I wonder? We're good at waiting for God's timing? No. And I, I, I knew as I was preparing this, I was going to start, people are going to go, shut up. <laughs> Just knew, because people think waiting on God's timing is being passive. It's not at all. It's being wise. James points us to Job. So we can learn from his story. He says, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I'll let you read the book of Job on your own, just for your encouragement. Job was a man of integrity. God-fearing man who was blameless and upright in all his ways, the Bible tells us. But God... God allowed Satan to take from Job everything he valued. All his livestock, his servants, his property, even his children. And he personally became covered in sores from head to toe. His wife's response, like every good wife, curse God and die. Thank you, dear. That was her advice. Curse God and die. Here's Job's response. 
Job 1, 20, 22. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. It says, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. And at the end of the book, we see the we see that God blessed Job with even more than he'd had before. But he had to wait a long time for that before everything got turned around. What was his secret? He, was, he learned to praise God in the now of life. He learned to praise God in the now of life. How many of us love to praise God when things are going well? Yeah, thank you, Lord. How many of you praise God when things aren't going well? It's a challenge. And yet Job points the way. His first response was to worship. Do you remember King David when he had this affair with Bathsheba and she gets pregnant and all of the whole torrid story that goes with this. And the child is born and the child is, is dying. And he prays and he prays and he prays for the life of this child, and then the child dies. David's first response was to worship God. As our first response, to worship God. He didn't have to be persuaded. He didn't have to have somebody teach him that he really ought to change his attitude. He knew God. Even though he'd blown it, he still knew God. Clearly, Job was a man who knew God. And therefore, their first response was worship. I think I've already told you this, but because uh, I often repeat myself, perhaps it's a sign of age. Um, but while, while Jean and I were away a couple of months ago on a, a few days' study break, we stayed in a cottage opposite the church, a church graveyard in a Norfolk village called Martham. And uh, I don't know if you're into walking around graveyards, have you? Well, they're quite interesting. Just You learn a lot if you take your time. And... Um, Sometimes a good thing to do anyway, and and as we went around reading different headstones, it became obvious that around 1889 to about 1903, there'd been some sort of sickness that had gone right through many families in the village, killing loads of them, as the dates were all the same, you know, within that period. We came to one place where there were two headstones side by side, and what we read blew me away. It's one of those things that just implanted itself On my mind, there was a couple who had four children. These children had grown up into late teens, early 20s. And then over the space of about four years, each one of the children had died because of sickness of some sort. I would imagine the parents, probably in their 50s, were devastated. Their four children, teenage, early 20s children, dreaming their dreams, planning their future, talking with their mom and dad about life, and then they die. I can't imagine, as a parent, I cannot imagine the pain of that. It must be awful. 
But what blew me away was that the, these two headstones, big headstones, side by side, the bottom of one of them, the parents had put, engraved the words, Jesus has done all things well. Jesus has done all things well. I, I just, it just hit me. It was just like, you know, we think in a, you know, in a, a modern day when we sing our songs and we, you know, we've got it together, haven't we? You know, we move in the spirit and, and we prophesy and, you know, those people then, they didn't know any of that. Be careful when you look at church history. People really did know God. Sometimes in a deeper way than we do because they had to prove him through tougher times. I was blown away. Left this indelible print in my mind. Jesus has done all things well. They knew what it was to be patient in suffering. They were waiting for God and they were living knowing that Jesus was and is coming again. That's where our confidence lies. In Jesus and in what is happening in us. We are hidden in Christ. He is coming again. We can't lose. This is the truth. It's where our hope is found. My second point. Facing reality. One of the key things we must learn in our busy instant world is waiting for God. And the reality is we struggle to do that. Do anybody? We often run ahead of God or, log behind, log or lag behind God. And you know, the problem is, really, at the, at the end of the day, Jesus is not enough for us. We can sing our songs. We can do our worship thing. It's fine when everything's going well. But as soon as we hit something, things get a bit difficult. We find that we're always wanting more. We're wanting problems solved. Or we, we want to be fulfilled. We love Jesus, but we want fulfillment. We want our destiny. To, you know, we want to step into everything, and we want it now. Oh, I so wish I was 33 and not 63. But I don't want to go... I, I want everything I've learned in the last 30 years, but I want to be 30 years younger. You know what? I cannot have that. I cannot have that. But if we're not careful, the problem becomes Jesus is not enough. It becomes, it's Jesus and the new project. It's Jesus and our finances getting sorted out. It's Jesus and me being healed physically. It's Jesus and me finding a job. Then I'll be happy. It's Jesus and my husband getting sorted. Or and my wife getting sorted. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you live thinking with something, you think, if only that was sorted, everything would be wonderful? How many feel like that? Do you ever do that? I promise you, it'll just be something else. The nature of life is there's always something else. There's always another hurdle, there's always another problem, because that's the nature of living in a fallen world. And if it's Jesus and, you're in trouble. So how about us? How, what would we say? It's Jesus and? You can fill in your own blank. Then everything will be fine. Oh. The reality is this. If it's Jesus and, then we'll never be happy and we'll always be impatient. 
We'll never be happy. We'll always be impatient. If it's Jesus and. I've led churches long enough now to know that some people in church grumble. I'm sure it just doesn't happen here. Um, Because we want it different, we should do better. Things should be different. People should love each other more. It should be this, it should be that, it should be the next thing. You should be identified more. You should have higher profile. He gets on to... Just people, just go on. You know what? None of that's important. We are saved together into Christ for his glory. And he lifts up those he wants to lift up. And he humbles those he wants to humble. And the last thing any of us ever need to do is complain about what he's doing or grumble. Because that does not bring him glory. And that can destroy a church. You see, Jesus wants to be enough for us. When he said to Paul, he would say to us, my grace is sufficient. Yeah, there'll be always problems. There'll always be difficulties. People will always let us down. People will always irritate us. Some people are just designed to get up your nose. God made them that way. Just how it is. We have to take responsibility. Say, no, Jesus, the grace of Jesus is enough for me. And enough for them. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus was enough for him. Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, he says, For I have learned, so he had to learn this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It's one of my favorite verses. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Are you, can, are you content this morning? <laughs> A little bit. There are many books written about church growth, the latest evangelistic technique and so on, and there's much we can learn from these things, but You know what, the thing I haven't seen many books written about is how to wait for God. Perhaps they don't sell very well, I don't know what it is, but there's not many books written about how to wait for God. How to learn to hear him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it crossed my mind as I was preparing, I was thinking, oh, digging a hole here. Okay, how to learn to hear him and to walk in obedience to what we hear. Sometimes moving forward, sometimes holding back as he directs. You think, oh, well, that's a bit idealistic. No, it's not. It's called being led by the Spirit, actually. We are led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. We are people to be led by the Spirit, not human wisdom, not even human gifting, but his voice. God has, has a way of wanting things to move forward at his pace, not ours. And that can be frustrating and can make us impatient. I know for me, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, come on, God, I'm, I'm, I'm 63 and a half. And you know you're in trouble when you say and a half, all right, because it's just like every half counts now. And, and I'm saying, God, 
I want to see Teesside transformed. I, there's prophecies you gave about me coming up here. And I, I'm thinking, oh, come on then. Hmm. And then, then you think, well, maybe I've got to work harder. Or, and as soon as you go down that tack, you're in trouble because it's not that. No, I need to learn to wait for God more than I've ever done before. Because God fulfills his promises. We don't run ahead. We wait. We walk with him. I'm sure Ecclesiastes is your everyday reading, but I'm going to read eight verses from Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now we have to be careful with the book of Ecclesiastes. All right? It is the wisdom of Solomon... Probably written, though, at a time when he was not walking with God. Okay? Hence his favorite phrase in the whole of Ecclesiastes is, everything is meaningless. All right? Now, there's, a, there's a lesson. He, he was David's son, the wisest man who ever lived, but eventually he wandered away from God, and he started relying on his human wisdom and ability. He was enticed by hundreds of wives, which seems strange to me, and, and all the religions around, and... and um, Clearly a different man from me. And, then, and, and, and so he came to the conclusion eventually that everything was meaningless. And so, for example, he writes, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I res- surveyed all my hands had done, what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. I tell you, there are people building churches today and nothing will be gained because it's done in human ability and gifting. You see, we can gather a crowd, we can have a big meeting, and people will be enticed to entertainment, if you like, a big center, places where people come and go, wow, and they get goosebumps as the music's played and they do this. That is not the church we read of in Scripture. I'm not decrying those things. We can have some good moments, but that's not building church. Building church is walking with God, is building relationship and fellowship, discipling one another, working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, letting the life of Christ be seen into communities, into the workplace, wherever we are. It's so important. It's so important. Now, having said that about Solomon, we still need to say that the Bible tells us clearly he was the wisest man who ever lived. And so we do need to pay attention to some degree. Some of his conclusions left God out completely, but the the reality is there is a time for everything. And the most important thing to know is that God's timing is always best. God's timing is always best. And while we're waiting or working, Jesus is always enough. And he's always worthy of our praise. Just for who he is. Yeah? Just one glimpse. 
You read Isaiah. I saw the Lord. Oh, I was undone. He's worthy of praise just for who he is. We live in this superficial world where we say, oh, well, God hasn't met my need and I want this met. Look, God is bigger than your need. God is bigger than the world. God is bigger than creation. God is awesome and beyond us. And yet he reveals himself to us in his son. And one glimpse would have us on our face and everything would change. Because he's worthy of worship. He's always worthy of worship. Whatever our situation, however bad it is, the answer Start with worship. Worship God. Give him glory. Give him praise. There's no other way. Does that challenge us on the inside all the time? It means I'm denying myself. I'm, I'm, I'm plowing through my hurt. I'm plowing through my frustration. And I'm coming before him. And I'm saying, you are worthy. I say, God, I'm hurting. But you are worthy, worthy, worthy of my praise. I, I bless your name. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. My last point. Living for today and the power of words. In the light of everything I've I've just said, how does God want us to live then? Grumble and complain or keep praising the Lord? Do we have any, um, any grumblers in the room? few hands. Any pessimists? Any grumblers? You know, I, I, just, I just want to say this. God wants to set you free from that. It isn't just, oh, that's just how I am. No, God wants to set you free from that and give you a new perspective on life as his child. I didn't write this in my notes, but I, I'll do it anyway. As I was preparing, I, I found myself thinking about the, the man at the pool of Bethesda who'd been lying there as an invalid for 38 years. And um, there's a lot of people waiting for the waters to be troubled so they can get in and get healed. The first one in would get healed. and He'd been there for 38 years and he was an invalid. He couldn't, he couldn't make it. And Jesus comes to him. He didn't come to the others. He just comes to him and said, do you want to get well? Which is a fascinating question to somebody who's not well. But, you know, there's a clue there because sometimes people rather stay ill, rather have their problem than really walk free of it because your identity is in, in your problem. Do you want to get well? Yeah, yeah, Lord. So for Jesus heals the man and he rolls up his mat and he goes. And a bit later on, Jesus seeks this man out privately and he says, now stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Wow. That's nice, isn't it? Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. I, I just felt as I, as I did the grumbling thing, God just and said, stop grumbling. It will destroy your life. I really felt that came from God. Stop grumbling. Deal with grumbling. Get rid of it out your thinking, out of your conversation. Deal with it. In private, in secret, wherever you'd grumble, get rid of it because it will destroy your life. I really felt that word from God. I know God challenged me about being Mr. Pessimist years ago, and I had to literally teach myself not to be negative, but to be positive. Literally had to dig it out. I don't care how bad our situation, I had to stop it. And so when Jesus says to the man, stop sinning, 
or something worse will happen. It just really says to us, stop grumbling. It will destroy your life. Hope that doesn't sound harsh, but I had to, just felt to bring it then. We need a new perspective on how to live as a child of God. You see, how we think, and even more importantly, how we speak, will shape our life. It will shape our character, even shape the circumstances we're in. In the midst of all the trouble of his life, how could Job still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? In Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were thrown into the deepest dungeon of the prison with their feet fastened in stocks, how could they start praying and singing hymns of praise to God? Now, as it happened, God moved in and and actually he set them free at that point. But the basis, they didn't do that as a formula to get free. They did that because he was worthy of praise. In the deepest dungeon, rat infested. Can't imagine it. And at the end of the 19th century, in the village of Martha in Norfolk, how could these two parents write on this tombstone of their four children, Jesus has done all things well. I have every confidence in saying it was because God was enough for them. Jesus was enough. They were all living, patiently waiting for the Lord's coming. And they spoke the right words. Words are creative. I can go to Raj and Simon, I can say loads of negative things, and they will leave my, com- my, my presence discouraged. Do you ever meet somebody like that? You meet them and you think, oh, dear. Do, you ever, do you meet any of those? Everywhere you go, it's like, oh my, we'll go somewhere else. And before long, you become one of them and you just go, oh, it's terrible. Isn't it bad? I mean, look at the nation, look at the situation, world economy. Isn't it awful? It's dreadful. Guess what? It's going to get worse. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it is. I've got every confidence it's going to get worse. Absolutely certain. Am I building you up? Yeah, it's really good. Let me build you up with something else, though. That might tear you down. I tell you this. Julian prophesied over the church. And he prophesied that we were stepping from the wilderness into the promised land. And actually, as we step into the promised land, there was no lack in the promised land. That as we go forward as a church, there will be an abundance. In a a situation of a world where there's no resource, shortage of money, we will not be short of money. There'll be an abundance for us as the people of God. Why? Because our God provides. Right? Now, that's the conversation that builds you up. That's the conversation. Declare the truth. God is always worthy of our praise. He is mighty. He is wonderful. Don't let negative confession spoil your life. And spoil other people's. Words have incredible power. Incredible power. I grew up in a Christian family, but we'd always have roast preacher for dinner. I was taught it was discipled. Well, I didn't think you did that very well today. And blah, blah, blah. Right? And I'm sure I'm roasted every Sunday. But done to a turn. But, but the point I'm making is this. We all make mistakes. Many things are wrong but not with God. There's nothing wrong with God. Not one thing wrong with God. He's always worthy of praise. He's always to be the focus. So can I say, guard your conversation, especially in the home. Especially in the home. As as Raj was talking about the children this morning, I, I wanted to get up and prophesy over them. I just felt God say, in this room is the church for tomorrow and these are mighty men and women of God 
for the future. Guard them, tend them, encourage them, build them up, speak positively to them, build them up in God, tell them the truth. Do not bring them down with a negativity that comes from the world every day. Don't do it. Take responsibility. Jesus has done all things well. That is the truth. Our children need to know that. They need to know God never fails. God has a plan. He's coming again. We can't lose as his children. They need to know that. Yes, they need to understand the world's a mess. They need to understand because it's broken and fallen, it'll probably get worse. But our confidence is not in the world, in the world system. Our confidence is in God as his children. He's our provider. He's our sustainer. He's the one who blesses us. He's the one who heals us. He's a great, mighty God. Yeah, I, I, I love being a child of God. A dry child of God. So the question for us today is, are we living patiently waiting for the Lord's coming when there are all sorts of issues that need sorting? Maybe financial, maybe relational, maybe we need a job, maybe we sense a call to ministry, maybe this project, I don't know, there could be 101 things. But how we live today is the only day that really matters. Do you hear me? How we live today is the only day that really matters. If we got it wrong yesterday, we may need to ask forgiveness, perhaps try and change things, but we can't change yesterday. We got it wrong. We may have all sorts of visions and dreams and ideas and aspirations for the future, but the reality is the only day we have got is today. So let's live it for Jesus. How we live today becomes the platform on which we stand tomorrow. What comes out of your mouth today becomes the platform on which you stand tomorrow. What comes out of our mouths as parents becomes the platform on which our children stand for the future. Seriously. Seriously. So here are some suggestions for living today. Take responsibilities for the words that come out of our mouths. They are creative They can build up and encourage or they can tear down and discourage. Stop complaining and grumbling. It will spoil our life, our family, and everything we're involved in. Let's make sure we speak well to one another and of one another and to the world around us. Speak well in the home, at uni, at college, at work, if we have a job. Speak well there or wherever we find ourselves. Let our words build up and encourage, not tear down, because God loves that. Let's focus on God. Let's learn to be thankful and give him praise. Let's be filled with the Spirit every day. Today, today, right now, we are children of God. Let's be thankful. We are so, isn't that good? don't know who you are, but I'm a child of God. Aren't you thankful? Yeah, thank you, Lord, I'm your child today. It's okay, it's awesome. The world is crying out, it's lost, and we are children of God. What a privilege. Let us be thankful. Today our names are written in heaven, and we have an eternal hope that goes beyond the grave. Are you pleased about that? Thank you, Lord. What a privilege. What a joy to know I'm safe and secure for all eternity. Wow. 
The world's lost and it's scared and it's wondering. We are secure and safe forever. We've got so much to be thankful for, haven't we? Good. Today we're part of Jubilee Church Teesside. We are the people of God called to purpose. We get to follow him together. What a privilege. Are we thankful for that? Some of you. So thankful. It's who we are. We're a part of it. We're together. He's knit us together. It's not just you and God. It's us and God. Together. Called to purpose. Some of it will be great and glorious. And some of it will be frustrating and difficult. But he's always worthy of praise. I'm going to close with two scriptures. And then we're just going to have a, a time waiting before God. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Then Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, do not, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Now, I don't think, just unpack that a little bit. I don't think it means I've got to go and start singing over Raj this morning. It, it means having music in our heart, having positive things to say, having times together just praising God and enjoying God. By all means, we can sing to one another, but it's speaking to one another truth. It's speaking to one another words of encouragement with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. He loves to give life. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has and does do all things well. Isn't it wonderful? Let's just sit before God a moment. There will be an opportunity in a little few minutes if you want to be prayed for but right now I just want to sit before God if you